Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. You are not so smart. That is the name of a book, a website, and a podcast that has developed a huge following, mostly for silly reasons, like it's informative, it's interesting, it's well-produced, it's enjoyable. The man responsible is a humble former pet store owner who has mapped out an extraordinary career in journalism and storytelling. David McRaney, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Wow, thank you so much for having me. And uh, Please introduce me everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> happily, sir, happily. <laughs> David, I, uh, I found out about you from your podcast, of which uh, I've become a regular listener in the last few months. But as I dug deeper about you, I discovered that really everything you do seems to be utterly fascinating. And we'll talk <laughs> about some of it. But for those who aren't familiar with your work, just describe some of the projects that you're involved with these days. Uh, well, right now I am uh, I'm currently working on a new book, uh, which will be sort of about how people change their minds in the in the over a long arc because we all look back in time and see that we we think differently than we did when we were younger, but we don't necessarily know how that happened. So that's a book about that. Also, it's about how we have everyone has those epiphanous moments with a um, maybe a documentary or a conversation or a speech or something changes your attitude. And I'm sort of interested in the psychology and neuroscience and sociology and anthropology and political science and all the stuff behind how and why that happens. So that's my big project that I'm working on. I um, I'm doing my podcast, which has been going for almost three years now. It's the You Are Not So Smart podcast. That's um, what I do in that show is I interview scientists who study something in the realm of um, the psychology or the uh, or any other science that is interested in self-delusion or decision-making, psychology of reasoning, judgments, that sort of stuff. The uh, I've been running a blog about that same sort of stuff where I write, I try to write sort of long form, but it started out short form, but now I write long <laughs> form. Um, about, I started that in 2009, which is about the same sort of stuff. And uh, I've, between then and now, I've written two books, uh, You Are Not So Smart and You Are Now Less Dumb, uh, <laughs> both sort of essay form books about lots and lots of different topics in that world of psychology and, and other sciences. In addition to that, I um, right before I started that blog, I uh, was a, created a TV show called The Green Couch Sessions with uh, some friends of mine. We really wanted to make a TV show about the music of the Deep South, so we made one, and it lasted about a season. But those guys were so, they're my friends, and we, they have their own professional careers, mostly in um, video editing and After Effects and stuff like that. And we had met when I worked at a TV station with them, and they've gone on to create a, their own company called Plus Three. And so I helped them write commercials and write other, and write other projects and do some voiceover work and do some video work with them off and on for all sorts of different kinds of projects. And they also work with me to make like trailers for the books or make videos for YouTube and that sort of thing. Um, and I, on top of all that, I do a little, a little freelance here and there. I just wrote something for Politico. I write regularly for Boing Boing. I have a column in Mental Floss, which is, it is starting up. I've already written a lot of the columns, but they haven't started publishing them, but that's coming up in the future. So I've sort of got my, I've got a lot of plates spinning, but I try to keep them at least in a realm where they, if I'm researching something and I have to trim the fat, 
that fat can then be used in something else. Or if I'm researching something and it, I discover five or six other things that are lateral to that, that uh, aren't related to what I'm talking about, I usually can find a place in my weird network of stuff that I'm doing <laughs> where it might get find a home. So that's what I'm up to. And uh, the other very unique thing I saw from you is you uh, were the star of a Reebok video <laughs> about oh, the human score. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Oh, wow. I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah, I do a lot of lecturing. I guess I should have mentioned that. I lecture on top of everything else. So, you know, lecturing is a great way to um, just keep yourself on your toes and meet your audience and everything. So I, I, I've, we've traveled all over the place from Australia to Ohio doing lectures about the books. But somewhere in there, I developed a, a, a kind of a reputation as a person who can talk about this and not be um, too, uh, you know, condescending or too, uh, too technical. And yeah. I was approached by Reebok. I was approached by the advertising company, the advertising agency that was handling one of the Reebok campaigns. It was called the Be More Human campaign. And they approached me. They, they, there, there have been a couple of campaigns recently where scientists or journalists who cover scientists have been spokespersons for them for the product or for the campaign, I think it, it's related to the surge in popularity of things like Mythbusters and Bill Nye and um, Cosmos and Neil deGrasse Tyson. There's been a, a nice surge lately and in, in a return to a more hard science slash entertainment. And so they asked, would I be interested in sort of their campaign was about the, the relationship between like uh, exercise and, uh, having, uh, basically they were trying to include the fact that when you exercise, it also changes the way your brain works. And they wanted me to just sort of explain that in their campaign. And so that, I said, yeah, awesome. Fantastic. So they, <laughs> of course they, they flew me up to uh, New York and they gave, they filmed me in a, in an apartment that they made look like I lived there. And, uh, <laughs> and I talked all about it. It was really cool. And I, and I, and I, I helped write the, the campaign. I helped write the commercials. So we spent a couple months writing what I would say and how I would say it. And we put it together and filmed it. It was really cool. It's got to be a lot of fun to have your, your hands in so many different things like that. I, I don't know, David, if you've ever watched the newsroom uh, on HBO, but it started with the main character, uh, a news anchor played by Jeff Daniels going on what he called a mission to civilize. And it's mm. kind of overwrought and ridiculous. And the show very quickly falls apart, uh, in, in the early season. And, uh, and it comes across as very condescending, which was a word that you used to describe how people think you are not. And it was funny because you seem like almost a real-life version of someone on a mission to civilize, and yet you're <laughs> so much more likable than this character. And and the reason I say that is because you focus so much of your efforts on this idea of self-delusion, on trying to kind of break through, uh, you know, as, as Nate Silver might put it, the noise. And... You started this blog, You Are Not So Smart. You've got several hundred thousand followers on Facebook. Talk about why you started the blog and why you think it has tapped into such an audience. Yeah, well, so, so the thing, and thank you for saying all that. That's really cool. I, I mean, the reason it's it works is because when I say you are not so smart, I'm talking about me. So I'm talking about David McCraney. And um, as long as I make sure that I'm slowly drawing... Uh, 
a, I'm slowly feeling out the shape of my own ignorance. That's that's sort of the the quest, and the you know the title of the book and the title of the whole thing. You are not so smart. The title of the podcast. It's such a you. Th- it, it's <laughs> it immediately seems like it is the most condescending, smarmy, uh, and uh, offensive thing you could say to a potential new audience member. <laughs> and you know they're like, how dare you? And so of course that person will read to try to prove that I'm incorrect. And then they will, they will see that they're the, the actual tone and the approach is not what they expected. So uh, the way this started was it's a really, it's so weird. I, I, I know exactly how this started. And um, so I was uh, in college, I was a psychology major and somewhere along the way I was, uh, I was taking, I was actually in the part of the psychology where I was learning how to, uh, conduct therapy sessions. And I was taking all these classes and, and doing therapy and receiving it and all this kind of stuff. And I was always talking to my friends about the most interesting parts of psychology that I, the parts that I thought that were most interesting, the ones that seem to really illustrate that we, uh, have no, we, we have a, we presume we know what's going on, but we really don't have much of an idea. It's all just sort of, it's, it does love that part of psychology. And, uh, somewhere in that along there, I, um, the school paper started asking people if they would like to submit columns for their opinion section. They didn't have any, they, they needed opinions writers. And so I wrote a column for them and it had, it was, had some popularity behind it. And I wrote some more and I wrote some more and I started really dig writing for that audience. And I thought maybe I should be a journalism major. Maybe I could do this for a living. And that summer I, got an internship with one of the papers in um, my hometown, uh, not my, my hometown at the time. And I did that internship for the entire summer and I loved it. It was the greatest thing. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life because it just so happened they lost their, their actual reporter. It was a small paper. They had one reporter for the County that I was covering. They lost that reporter. And so they asked if you would like, you can just be the reporter for that County instead <laughs> of, as, as your internship. And so I did. And I had to take all my own photographs and I had to, you know, keep up with my own contacts and go to all the city council meetings and all that kind of stuff. And this then, is stuff, by the way, that people don't typically love doing in journalism. I mean, you <laughs> found yourself captivated by it. I liked it because I liked the idea of, well, I liked it because they gave me the freedom to write in my own style, which does not always happen. Right. And I really enjoyed, they were, they, this paper every summer does, a special section where they do character profiles of people in the community. And that was what really hooked me because I got to do, I think it was 14 different um, individual character studies of real people. So I would go to people's houses. It was something like you would get in out of a this American life episode. So I would, yeah. I went to their houses. I got to know them. I spent time with them and I tried to write very deep literary pieces about those individuals that I could imagine they would keep and their families would keep. And I love that. And so when I, went, when, I went, when I went back to school, I said, you know, I think I want to do this for a living. And so I, I switched majors to journalism. I was, became the news editor of the paper. And then the next year I was the editor of the paper. And I just finished out my college career deeply, deeply invested in journalism. And then, you know, Hurricane Katrina happened. And so my, all of my first, all of the work that I was doing as a early journalist was doing Hurricane Katrina coverage. So it was straight into hardcore um, you know, coverage of things that were difficult. And I just really fell in love with it. So as I worked my way up through that world, 
I eventually became an editor and eventually became a, a person who worked at a TV station who taught TV journalists how to write in newspaper style. So I first worked for a newspaper and then I worked for a TV station. It was about that time that I was really, I stopped writing. You know, you stop writing once you become, uh, once you get to a certain point in, in the editing process. And so I wanted to write about something. And at that time, this was about 2009, that um, <clears throat> in around 2009, there was the most popular kinds of blogs that were going around were single idea blogs. So blogs were still very popular, microblogging like Twitter and, and, and uh, really, really tiny things like Instagram, Snapchat, that kind of stuff had not happened yet. So people were still blogging and the blogs were like um, uh, stuff white people like. And, uh, you know, stuff like that where they had a very single idea and they hammered away at it. And I thought, I want to do something like that. I want to get a very thin slice and I'm going to hammer away at it. I'm going to go as narrow as I can go. And I thought it just has to be this psychology stuff that I used to talk about on road trips and at parties and stuff. That would be a great topic for a podcast. I mean, not a podcast, for a, for a blog. And in particular, there's this one video on YouTube that I love to show people. It was a, from a Darren Brown episode where he uh, has two people, he has someone, um, he walks up to someone, a stranger in a city and says, could you please give me directions to the certain landmark? And the person starts giving him directions. And then as they're giving directions, two people walk between him and this other person carrying a giant painting. And as they walk by Darren Brown switches places with one of the people who's holding that painting. And now there's a totally new person talking to the person who was giving directions and nobody realizes it's happened. They just keep talking to this person as if That's nothing great. has changed. And you and mentioned this on a recent podcast, if I remember you interviewed a magician yes, and, yes. and talked about that. So that blew my mind. I mean, this that video blow, blew my mind so much because you just can't believe it's true. And I, it was, it was in that same pocket of psychology that I was interested in. And I was said, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a blog that is just about that one kind of thing how we are totally unaware of how unaware we are. And that's, that just seemed like a great idea. And I, um, I, I, we, I threw a bunch of ideas around for what the title should be. And we, I, um, I clearly remember, uh, sitting on my front porch and thinking you're not so smart is the greatest idea for a title. I quickly bought the, uh, the, name, <laughs> the domain name, yeah, put it up and started my, started blogging. And my first blog posts were just simply look at this video. Hey, look at this thing. Hey, look at that aggregation. And, um, as here's where it all really came together was I, I started thinking about, try, uh, you know, things that were happening in my life. I thought about could be good topics for the blog. And I got into an argument with some friends about which was better, the PlayStation three or the Xbox 360. And, uh, wow. we, okay. we got into, we got into such, we got into a really heated argument where we got mad at each other. And so I, uh, afterward thought, how in the, why would this make me angry? This seems so stupid, but it reminded me of Apple versus Android or Ford versus Chevy or whatever kind of debates. And uh, so I, I just looked up the re I just looked up the psychology behind it and wrote a post about brand loyalty, but I called it fanboyism. And, um, this was at the same time when I put that out a couple days later, Gizmodo stole uh, an iPhone prototype and posted all about it. It became this huge news story where Steve Jobs 
wrote them a personal email that was like, give or you know, or called them on the phone and said, give me back my phone. And they just made a big deal about it. And it was a huge news story. And they were looking, I think they just probably just had a Google alert that had um, iPhone or Apple versus Macintosh or whatever. And my blog post came up and, or they might've been searching on purpose and they found it. And so I got an email that said, would you be okay with us republishing that blog post on our website? And I said, absolutely cool. They put it up. I got 250,000 hits that next hour. And it just, the hits just kept coming in and rolling in and rolling in. And I was like, Oh man, all these people are looking at my blog. I need to write something else pretty quickly. So I wrote another long post about, um, a couple of different topics and over that next week or two, not everybody stayed, but enough people stayed that I kind of had my audience. It was a good solid core. And from that point forward, I started taking a lot more care and trying to write better research, better fact checked, longer form pieces that delve deeper and tried to actually make it more literary. And from that point forward, I really, uh, that was when I started shaping it. And it was, that was the takeoff. And within a couple months, I started getting um, offers to turn it into a book and people who were like, Hey, would you like to join this agency and that agency? And so I, I went with a, I found a literary agent who she's still my agent. She's one of my favorite people in the world. And we've been doing this for more than five years now. And the first book came out a couple months later and the rest is, that's how this happened. Wow. Very, very exciting. Uh, this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He's David McRaney, the man behind You Are Not So Smart, the blog, the book, the podcast. David, on your podcast, you pick the brains of leaders in the psychology realm. And I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about some of what you've learned, specifically what you've learned about how the media behaves and how people consume it. You said you started your blog to, quote, explore self-delusion. How does that show up in the way that the press operates and the way that the press is consumed? Well, the I think that sort of the central thesis of You Are Not So Smart is to sort of understand that the brain generates a model of reality or a representation of something that's much more complex and nuanced than with something that's very simple and it's easier to interact with a very broad and blunt approximate version of reality. And that's what you interact with. And probably the most fundamental bias that we each carry around with us that we see the world through is confirmation bias and confirmation bias is kind of a found, it's a foundational bias from which a lot of other things spring and confirmation bias is, is when we are seeking, when we have an, a, a hypothesis about how the world works. We don't think it's a hypothesis. We think of it uh, as a, we actually form it as a conclusion. We think if the world works like this. And when we try to confirm whether or not what we believe is true, we do so through, uh, when we try to figure out if what we believe is true, we do so through a confirmatory process. So we go out and we test whether or not what we think is true. If we find any evidence that supports it, we stop looking for more evidence. And in psychology, they call that the make sense stopping rule. <laughs> and, um, and so what we end up doing is we, we start to find trusted sources that, and the reason we trust them is because they don't, um, confront our preconceived notions and we slowly accrete um, we slowly form this shell around us. Sometimes it's called a filter bubble and all the books on our shelves and all the websites that we visit every day and all the television channels we watch and all the news programs that we, um, uh, uh, choose to, to get our information from and all the, um, the 
pundits that we allow into our brain and all of the uh, commentators and comedians, everything eventually starts is since we live in a much more, uh, we live in an more on demand society than we ever have until this moment in history. And we have such power to seek out information through search engines and, and the internet. And since we have a smartphone in our pocket that is always on and always ready to do that sort of thing, we end up in these very, uh, stable and thick filter bubbles that inside of which everyone agrees with with what we think. Mm. And that has deeply shifted the way people consume media and deeply shifted the way that media outlets must produce content to keep, to form and keep audiences. And it's the reason clickbait came around. It's the reason we have clickbait is because it's simply that is a sort of a, the medium is the message type thing where that is a very potent currency for uh, producing it, it basically basically it just re it's a better way to write a headline if you're if the only way you you judge success is through the metrics of hits and clicks and stuff like that. So um, human behavior, you know the it's the thing about newspapers, this is something from Clay Shirky's writings is that they they were for a very long time they were absolutely almost impossibly profitable enterprises and they didn't have metrics the and the, the metrics they did have were very inaccurate and you had to before the internet you if you were going to if you only got went to the newspaper for sports scores or you only went to the newspaper for horoscopes or whatever you had to get the whole package the omnibus and mm. And the and newspaper could never necessarily say why someone was buying a newspaper. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, they they did they did research, but it was just that research was you know blurry and and messy. And and the internet comes along, and they can now you can a la carte what you want. And so there can be a website that only gives sports scores or only gives horoscopes. And since um, you know the real business of the new the real the news business is not selling news to the public. The news business is selling eyeballs to advertisers. And the um, when you are trying to you know you you try to cultivate sort of a harvest of eyeballs by seeding the kind of things that that are guaranteed to bring them over. And it was always a mix of candy bars and broccoli. You know things that you ought to be eating and things that you want to be eating. Right. And so the skew when once. Once people could get it a la carte, and once the um, there were perfect metrics, so we actually know specifically how many people and how old they are are coming, and you know their um, every demographic there you can imagine is is tallied and where they're from and all these sorts of things. Uh, that started to shape the content, and so now I, I you know and lots of people have spoken about this. These aren't all my ideas; these are lots of different people have talked about this, but the. Now, you know, I'm of the opinion that a lot of the best reporting of the best stuff, it, it, it's you, the, someone almost always has to be a uh, for the big for big reporting. Like if you want to report about what's happening in Iraq from the United States, you know, you need someone to fund that enterprise. And a lot of that stuff is today. The best stuff is, is supported just independently by people who are nice instead of through an advertising model. The what I'm doing you know, my very specific thin slice that I'm writing about that that's the, that's the, the sort of the flip side of this. That's extremely positive and fantastic and beautiful is that that long tail gives us all, gives all these 
um, individual voices or small groups of people the opportunity to publish at almost no, no cost whatsoever and just produce content everywhere. And with this giant, you know, humongous uh, um, torrent, this avalanche, this, this tsunami of content turns the internet into a meritocracy in a lot of ways so that the, the very best stuff or the stuff that lots and lots of people truly love becomes the thing that's popular enough for a, for a, a gatekeeper to actually then give an opportunity to do something. So in my case, you know, the old way might've been write write and research a book and then shop that book around and try to get someone to publish it. But now most publishers operate the way that like a band um, producer would have, would have operated in eras past where a content producer proves that he or she can cultivate a big audience of people and keep them around and has a strong work ethic and can produce content uh, often enough that it, that people don't lose interest and has a high enough quality or is of a certain kind of quality that people really dig. And the, that the person has built that up that audience. That's the kind of thing that a publisher or a producer, or whatever is looking for is that they want to sort of just go ahead and they may not even understand what makes that thing popular. And they'll say, I want to give you an opportunity to do whatever it is you're doing to a much wider audience. And I can bankroll that. And then we'll split, you know, not necessarily split 50, 50, but we'll split <laughs> the, the, uh, the revenue that we can generate together. So that's often when I give advice to people who are thinking about starting up something on their own, like, like, like you're not so smart as I tell them that, you know, the, what you should focus on is just simply building a, a building an audience, you know, building focus on trying to, to be authentic to the thing that you love and that you're interested in. And then, you know, generate quality content that you are, that you just think is, that is, that is, that, is, that you would want to consume yourself. And if you do that often enough and long enough and with enough, with a strong enough work ethic and you build up a big enough audience of people, then you will, the gatekeepers of the world when it comes to, um, media will probably offer you an opportunity to, to, to show that to a wider group of people. So that's usually my but if the era of new media is a meritocracy and that meritocracy is steeped in this filter bubble, the self-delusion that you talk about, how does one build an audience, build those numbers while cutting through that and, and producing work that actually challenges people to think beyond that bubble? Oh, man. So that's that's difficult. And um, I've tried to – I know with, with the stuff that I produce – I've been, I've tried to be extremely conscious of not like, I'm not going to, to, I'm not going to explicitly say, and that's why Republicans are dumb or that's why Democrats are stupid or that's why uh, religion is ridiculous or whatever you might derive from the stuff that I'm talking about. I try to always go one or two or 10 levels lower than that and try to talk about the substrate of where, you know, the right, the left, the religious, the non-religious and everything, the scientifically minded and the, and the, and the more philosophically minded, all, everyone can agree that, you know, there are levels underneath it that are, uh, we can talk about that are absolutely true and interesting and fantastic. And that's one of the, the things that made You Are Not So Smart popular, I think, is that it's, um, it's a heady, it's, these are heady topics that appeal to the lowest common denominator in that 
everyone, no matter where you where you're coming from, is interested in why you think the things you think and why the people who don't think like you think the way they think. And why and the, so um, it's universal. Even and I find it's I get emails all the time from people who are very who live on one extreme of the political spectrum or the other, and they both think that what I'm writing about perfectly uh, captures the way they see the people who would disagree <laughs> with them. So, How does that make you feel? I think it's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> like um, because you know when I'm talking about like I said before, the you're not so smart is is at the, at the in the end it's an investigation of why I'm what what's wrong with me personally when it kind of, and why am I why do I think the way that I think and and you know as a you're a journalist as I you can you know that when you're for instance when you're when you're writing a news story if you have sort of an idea of what you know you have an angle and you have an idea of what you're trying to write about. And you and you maybe you have someone in your operation like an editor who has to sign off on it, and so you have you do all these things before you start, and then you start, and inevitably when you start to tell a news story, when you start to report it, when you start to gather the the uh, information that you're going to report on, you start to see that whatever your original notions were, they're probably not right anymore. There there are there you see that the the story is more nuanced and more complicated. There's a lot more gray in it. That and happens maybe, nearly every time I go out on a story. You always every, discover nuance. Every single time. And I have never spoken to a reporter and revealed this and have them not in in uh, in kind say, absolutely, that happens every time. Yep. And when you do this for a couple of years, you start to realize the world is not, that's how the, that's how everything is. I'm, I bet every single thing I've ever thought, felt, believed, uh, everything is like that. And on, on another level... Uh, when you think you know about something, you think you have some knowledge of it. When you start to do a story about it, you realize you have no idea what you're talking about. That your ignorance is enormous <laughs> in comparison to what you imagined it was beforehand. And when you start to meet people who are true experts, you start to realize, oh my God, look at the gap between what I knew and what they knew. And all that really informed me as a as a human being. Like that, that really started to change my personal philosophy of 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 what it meant to to be uh, right and wrong and since I was a psychology nerd before I was a journalist nerd, I, that's sort of the framework by which I made sense of it. And I realized very quickly that anyone could benefit from those concepts. If you started to, to illustrate to people who may have never had that experience like we've had, where you think you know what you're talking about. And as you go, the story starts to go in the other direction. And, and I've met I have seen personally, and I'm sure every journalist has, journalists who go, well, whatever, this is what I meant to write about, and I'm going to go with it. You know, I'm going to bend the narrative to fit what my preconceived notions were of what that story was going to be about. And if you successfully fight against that, story is always way better and way more useful to not just yourself, but to the audience. And I think usually that when you talk about uh, bending a story to how you perceive it initially – it usually comes down to laziness and effort. Oh, yeah. It usually comes down to not being willing to try to see through it uh, a different way. Mm -hmm. But and, when and you do that, it makes, as you said, it makes the story so much stronger. I, I wonder how it affects – when you talk about making it more useful for people, again, I, I, one thing I always notice about your podcast, for example, is that you really do, at least in the beginning – Try to really level the playing field. I, I've seen you start podcasts by playing a clip from The Twilight Zone or playing <laughs> right. the uh, yeah. the final scene of Mad Men. And it really is, it seems like a concerted effort on your end that before you get into all the 
technical terms and the and all of the the really heavy stuff, you're going to start on a level that as many people as possible can grasp quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that that's you. You're totally right, and you've uh, you've peeked behind the curtain very much so there because the this all comes from the way I wrote the blog and how I wrote the books, and that was a iterative process, some trial and error. It was a Darwinian thing where you know things that worked. I kept and the things that didn't work, I threw away thanks to having metrics. And I realized that for these topics, most of these things, I, I, especially in the beginning, the stuff that I wrote about came out of research papers, which are, you know, if you don't have a literacy for them or, or even or an interest, they are the, some of the worst stuff you'll ever read as far as like, you know, you one page in, you'll be like, okay, I have to reread this page. Uh, <laughs> and, and to, to make sense of this. And, so when I would present it and I was, I've always wanted to present what I write to, I wanted every single person who approached it to be able to read it and want to read it, you know, and not, you wouldn't have to have any prior knowledge of these topics. So I realized that I had to slowly build up to the core. And so it would always start out with, um, a, a headline type thing. And then in the in the books and on the in the blog, it was always a misconception and a truth. I would tell you a misconception that everyone has, and then I'd tell you what the true the truth was. And then then I would start out with a a page or a couple paragraphs that I felt were as universal as I could make them. They were about something that everybody has experienced or a piece of pop culture that we've all been that we're all familiar with. And then I would slowly move into the topic proper. And so I, when I moved that over to the podcast, I tried a bunch of different ways of doing it. And I, I slowly figured out the way to do it over audio. And those examples you mentioned are exactly that. That's what the purpose of those things. Um, that was the, the express purpose of doing it in that way is that I want you, I want everyone to, when I, if I'm trying to explain something to you, like, um, naive realism is the latest episode we did. Naive realism is a really weird topic. It's about, understanding that everyone believes that their personal perspective and their personal model of reality is the correct model of reality is the truth. <laughs> and everyone, and so to explain, to get you into that topic, um, we, I use a piece of, and this came from Lee Ross. Lee, this is Lee Ross's example, who is the guest, but I need that it would make a perfect intro. Uh, it's a George Carlin bit about how everyone that's driving slower than he said, have you ever noticed that everyone that's driving, driving slower than you is an idiot and everyone driving faster than you is a maniac. And, uh, his, but nobody seems to be driving my speed and he's illustrating very perfectly that we always, we think everyone who's not driving our speed is wrong. Like what they're right. doing is wrong in some way. Um, but you know, the, the extension of that, the extrapolation of that is they all think the same thing too. Like you're somebody else's idiot or you're somebody else's maniac. And so that's something anybody can understand and it's funny and it's fantastic and it comes from a shared pop culture and we're all in this together. And then I can move more into the more heady parts of the discussion. And that's always, that's always on purpose. And I find that's the better way to talk about this particular kind of science. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is David McRaney, author of the blog, book, and podcast, all called You Are Not So Smart. David, I I always use this final segment of the podcast to query my guests on their advice for younger journalists. You uh, got uh, quite a bit into your career path earlier in the podcast, and 
I I know in reading about what you've done and where you've been, I was impressed by the versatility, and you seem to be a testament to that. I, I think, like you said, the the meritocracy of modern day journalism enables someone to uh, perform journalism and uh, conduct journalism and storytelling in a variety of different ways. You seem like someone who constantly just tries to keep his ears and mind open to opportunities and don't necessarily paint yourself into certain, uh, certain models or certain media. You seem to try to just, you know what your expertise is and you are going to try to pursue it in whatever form that takes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, um, well, I mean, yes, if you're to, to, to the core, the found, the foundation of this world that we're in, this, this profession that we're in is storytelling. You know, I, I think that, that, uh, I usually, journalists usually come in, in, um, in, uh, <laughs> journalists usually come in a couple of flavors. There's, there's a, <laughs> I, can't wait. I find that, um, the journalists I've met, fall into some categories. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how many, let's see how many there they are I, for, for sure. You have political nerds. And so people who are just, they just think politics is the coolest thing in the world. They, um, they probably did political science in college. They've probably been on some people's, they probably have been part of some people's campaigns. Uh, they just simply find that process fascinating and they want to be part of the, the fourth estate. They want to be part of, they want to be part of the people who are watchdogs of, politics and government and sub, um, the world of um, civics. And that's just their thing. And they want to write about it and that's it. And those people tend to be very nuts and bolts journalists. Uh, just the facts. Here's what's happening. Maybe a little opinion writing here and there. And then you, um, you have people who are, I find they're very much word nerds. They're very much English nerds. They want, they're more interested in writing in general and they like the process of turning um, sort of the, the clunky, rocky, um, misshapen real world into the beautiful writerly world that we can turn it into. And then I think that there's sort of a third catch-all category of um, people who uh, they want to be novelists and, and professional writers, but journalism is how you make a living as a writer until you figure out how to break into that world. Hmm. So uh, I think I was mostly in those last two worlds and not in the first, though you know politics is interesting to me. I was very much more of a, I was much more interested in storytelling. And I feel that storytelling is, for me personally, everything is always about storytelling. It's always about um, the, the art and the craft of drawing someone into what you're writing and keeping them there. Um, I, I, love the I love the challenge of writing something on the internet that if you printed it out would be 20 pages long and people will still read it. Um, I like making a podcast that is... Uh, you know, it's dense and sometimes it's long, but the, you, you feel the story, you know, that we, I, I, making podcasts is so much more time consuming and requires so many more resources than just writing and researching from a desk or even going out and gathering it. But the, uh, we did, I did an episode a while back called about contact and spent, I spent three months and got about 20 hours of interviews to produce that thing. But wow. in the, but in the end, what was great was just that story telling the story from the beginning. So, um, for me, the, um, how we get that story out to people is obviously you have to conform to the, the medium that you're using. But I think that, um, 
it's always still the same thing every time. Robert Krolwich, who I uh, admire a lot, you know, he said that you have to, in the end, you still have to tell me a story. And so I know that I would, for any, my advice to any uh, people who are just getting into this is you definitely have to become literate and competent in all the different ways that you can produce content, video, audio, website, design, um, uh, coding, not a lot of coding, but some coding is always going to be involved. Photoshop, After Effects, everything. You have to learn everything. And you will find that there will be the good storytellers get jobs and they get offered jobs. And you're expected to, in most places, be able to do just about anything from running a camera to taking a good photograph to how do you write a, uh, an obituary even. All that stuff is, is important. And it's... um. So I, I would totally recommend, yes, you have to be a jack of all trades for sure. But for me, when I finally found the thing that I was um, good at doing and that people were interested in, I knew that I wanted to, the reason I, I, the reason I did it as a blog first was because I was a writer and that's what I understood. And that's still to me, you know, my, the essence of what I'm interested in. But I know that only a certain portion of the public will sit down to read anything and especially to read two or three pages about something in psychology or something even longer than that or a book. So I, I wanted to take what you are not so smart was and make sure I could widen the scope out and get it to more people. And that's why I chose to do it as a podcast because people would, or people will listen to 30 minutes of a podcast. Much more people will listen to a 30 more minute, 30 minute long podcast than would listen, than would sit down and read the text version of that. Mm. And, um, and then the next level up that would be is for videos. We made a couple of YouTube videos, but the reason I haven't moved the the the, uh, the podcast and the book stuff into the next level, which would be video, is because it's extremely time consuming and takes. There's, no, there's something I can't do by myself without it taking a month between uh, each video, and that would take away from whatever whatever else I'm doing. Sure. I have I have been in you know I've been in Los Angeles many times working on, with uh, producers to turn You Are Not So Smart into a TV show. Um, and that may still happen one day, but of course, you know, the TV world is very complicated and there's a lot more involved in that when it comes to the business side of getting the, getting it on television. But, um, for me as a single producer of stuff, it would be very difficult for me to move it into, to, I couldn't keep the podcast and do the videos though. I absolutely love uh, a lot of the people who are making YouTube content right now and, and, and other platforms. Uh, and they're, they're pretty doing some of the best stuff ever, uh, especially the PBS, uh, idea channel and, uh, all the other PBS programs are great stuff. But that's, if I, I know I'm a, uh, I'm a very, I, uh, I run a bit at the mouth, but the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, um, my it's all advice, good stuff though. That's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely, but yeah, what you were saying before it is, it is I don't think that, um, if you are specifically extremely talented as a, as an artist in one realm, you know, fill that out and become the best you can be at it. But it is important to be competent in, in all forms of producing um, uh, storytelling content. The other piece of advice I'd like to hear from you about is, you know, you, you've talked about versatility and you've talked about kind of being a jack of all trades and it's great advice. The other thing that I think it's really important to address and you're uniquely qualified to address it because you handle these topics so much on your podcast, but Journalists, and I think aspiring journalists in particular, are a very idealistic bunch. Mm. And they 
are about making a difference and and doing mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. that you know being able to convey what's going on in the world to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. You talk all about self delusion and the filter bubble and how we live in a self deluded world. So, what advice would you give a young idealistic journalist heading into that self deluded world? <laughs> into the self deluded world of uh, of journalism itself. Well, I guess the maybe the, the self deluded world of journalism consumption, oh, where, like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah, it's yeah. it's difficult to reach people who might not already agree with what you're saying. Well, you know, I don't know. There's a, there's a, it's hard to say because a lot of this is going to come down to who is your master, who is your who is the person writing out your checks, who is your uh, boss, you know, who is the person you're decided that that what is the institution you're going to serve? That's going to be make a big difference, and um. I I would just be careful about uh, if you know that your the platform that you're going to work for is going to be one of those that has a very slanted specifically is writing for one kind of person, um, you know, product. Uh, if you have the freedom to do so, you know, I would steer away from it personally. I can't, I can't imagine working for something like that. Um, though I know that a lot in the beginning, you're not going to have much of a choice. You're going to have to go where you can go. And if you do have to end up going to a place like that, do your best to um, split the difference and write stories that tell not just both sides, but reveal that there aren't just two sides and reveal that there is a lot more nuance to whatever you're talking about. And, you know, what you will find, and I've found that even in, in the stuff that I'm making, is that people who are deeply biased or deeply skewed in one direction politically, they're going to end up consuming what you write as if you wrote it for them anyway. So if if you are truly trying to get to the more objective viewpoint and you're writing from a perspective of I'm learning something here. Oftentimes when I'm, uh, I'll edit it out of the podcast or, but I'll, um, but if I'm, especially if I'm in person, you know, I will ask the person I'm talking to, to explain it to me. Like I am a complete idiot, you know, explain it to me. Like I am, um, if I'm five years old or something. So that, that was one of the first advice, uh, pieces of advice I ever received at my first job. That was one, one thing my news director said, when you're interviewing someone, Make sure they explain it to you like you know nothing. Right. And, and and the reason they give you that advice, whether or not they realize it, is because they're trying to burn out of you that that um that tendency to think that you do understand the story before you even get started reporting it. And you that is it's just sort of a human tendency. It's something the brain does. We assume we know more about what we're talking about than we than we do even when we go in. And maybe, you know, if you're doing a story, I was lucky because one of the first things I had to cover was how the Medicare Medicaid system funded uh, a public hospital. And I, I had no idea how that was, how that worked. And I was, I was, I was really, really terrified of that story because I was like, I don't have any idea what I'm talking. How can I possibly write this story? But I had, I had it upside down in that. That's the whole point. Like you're, you know, you are, as you grow as a journalist, if you have a beat, you will become more knowledgeable about the topic and you'll become You'll, you'll start to develop your sources and you'll start to be able to to more efficiently write stories. But the fact that I didn't know what I was talking about was a great opportunity to have people explain it to me. And then then I then in turn take the way that the way I made that make sense to me, I'll try to make that make sense to you. And then you have that beautiful opportunity to, to go back to your source and say, OK, this is what I think I, you said. This is what I think. This is how I'm going to try to explain it. Am I way off base here? Am I going on the wrong path? And they'll guide you and, and correct you. 
it can be a way, you know, it's one of those, is it a feature or a bug things? It can be a way to really, really write the best stuff. And, um, at this point I'm talking to these like, you know, uh, you know, Nobel prize type people <laughs> and then you know, who obviously, you know, a lifetime's worth more about what, what I'm uh, writing about than I do. And I seek out that, that, that conduit between us where, where I can say, look, I'm an empty vessel and you're going to, you're going to have to do some work here to fill me up. And so, uh, <laughs> and that's great because the, when, you know, a lot of times when you're writing about certain things, you're not, um, you're, you're, you're writing to a lay audience who needs to start it. They need to go from zero to one. They don't need to go from 10 to 20. They need to go from zero to one on this topic. Um, so I guess my advice would be to like, you know, if you're, if you can avoid a partisan, uh, publication do so if you can't. And I totally understand that when you start out, you can't, you often can't do that. Uh, you know, attempt to write in such a way that, um, you are, you're, you were definitely seeking out the, the middle ground, the middle way. And I think that when you do that, you will find that the, the people who are extremely, who have a, who, 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 who absorb content, who absorb <laughs> the people who read through a bias will do it anyway. And if you've written your, if you've done your job well, they will be able to glean something from what you produce anyway. Um, so that's one piece of advice for sure. Very good. Well, David, uh, that's all the questions I have, but I always like to ask with that fa- uh, end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? <laughs> um, I, uh, it, well, I'll tell you what, if you, if anybody listening has, uh, if you have, I am deeply interested right now in how people change their mind. And if you have done so, if you've changed your mind recently, I would like to hear about it. Please find me and talk to me about it. I am, uh, it's just sort of one of those things where I'm really sort of collecting as many stories as I can right now about people who have, uh, thought they had it all figured out and then realized they didn't. And I'm fascinated in how that happens. And the website with all that contact info is... Oh, yeah. You are not so smart.com. And the Twitter, it's at not smart blog. I'm at David McCraney. Terrific. All right. Very good stuff, David McCraney. Thank you so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks, man. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.